UAB MedCast is an ongoing medical education podcast. The UAB Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please visit uabmedicine.org slash medcast and complete the episode's post-test. Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals, bringing knowledge to your world. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing skull-based surgery from a lateral perspective, a team approach. This is part one of our two-part series on skull-based surgeries. Joining me in this panel is Dr. Winfield Fisher. He's the Griffith R. Harsh III MD Endowed Chair in Neurosurgery at UAB Medicine, and Dr. Erica Walsh. She's an Assistant Professor of Neurotology, Otolaryngology, and Otology at UAB Medicine. Doctors, thank you so much for joining us today. And Dr. Walsh, I'd like to start with you. Explain a little bit about skull-based tumors, how common they are, and the disease processes you most often see at UAB Medicine. As lateral skull-based surgeons, we deal with lesions of the temporal bone, the cerebellopontine angle, the internal auditory canal, uh, and Meckel's cave. So we deal with both middle and posterior fossa tumors. The most common of these are vestibular schwannomas, which are benign growths of the cerebellopontine angle and internal auditory canal. Those comprise about 80% of lesions in that area. And while they are histologically benign, they can cause quite a lot of damage as they press on surrounding structures like the hearing and balance nerve, the facial nerve, and the brainstem. Initially, the incidence of these were thought to be about 1 in 100,000, but as MRI is becoming more widespread and providers are knowing to screen for these patients, we expect that the incidence of those will increase. I'd like to also say that it's an interesting area of the brain. It's commonly regarded as one of the more technically difficult areas to get to. And the anatomy is fascinating in that it's very complicated. And so it does require a team approach. Dr. Walsh has her portion of the operation that she does, and I have the portion of the operation that I do. And then many times we actually have both of us in the room at the same time. And it's really one plus one is equal to about three. Even though the types of tumors are are these benign tumors, as Dr. Wall said, they can be extremely complex and involve a sector of our patient population sometimes that can become critically ill from the benign tumor itself. Well, then Dr. Fisher, because this is a two-part series, what's different about the lateral and anterior skull-based tumors in terms of difficulty or challenges in treatment? How would you like to start this episode as far as separating it into two parts? The major difference is between the anterior fossa or the anterior third of the skull base versus the middle and posterior fossas, which are the lateral and posterior aspect of the skull. The anterior portion of the skull base has been transformed with endoscopic approaches, and that is a different skill set than the type that Dr. Walsh and I have. Although there are some areas 
where endoscopic surgery may have more utility in the future in the kind of approaches we do. It's generally not used as much as it is in the anterior approach. So that's where we draw the line. If the tumors are located in the anterior fossa, then that falls into the kind of anterior group. Everything else behind that falls into the area where Dr. Walsh and I become involved. Thank you so much for that. So Dr. Walsh, tell us a little bit about the types of preoperative evaluations and any new and exciting radiologic imaging that will help with this complex diagnosis and treatment. These patients may initially see myself, Dr. Fisher, or oftentimes both of us on the same day. And from my perspective, there are some important pieces of information that I need on one patient. Of course, the most important thing is the story that the patient tells. And so sitting down with them and and getting an understanding of how this lesion was discovered and what sort of symptoms they're having, that can be really critical in how we choose to approach and treat these lesions. Next for me in particular is an audiometric evaluation. So we obtain an audiogram or a hearing test on these patients because the hearing and balance nerve is intimately involved in this area. And that also helps us determine uh, what approach might be most appropriate for the patient. Depending on the symptoms the patient has, we may get objective evaluation of their balance system. For us, MRI, and specifically MRI that's formatted with detail of the internal auditory canal and cerebellopontine angle, uh, is kind of the bread and butter imaging that really helps us characterize these lesions. However, CT can also have an important role, uh, especially in some of the temporal bone tumors uh, and lesions of the petrous apex. A personal interest of mine is looking at how we can prognosticate how tumors are going to behave based on imaging. Vestibular schwannomas, which again are the most common lesions of the area that I see, they grow on the order of about one to two millimeters a year, but that's an aggregate. So there are some patients who may experience no growth and some patients who actually may experience rapid growth. I'm interested in trying to predict how those tumors will behave in patients so that we can determine at an earlier stage whether an intervention is necessary. So that's a particular research interest of mine, but nothing that's ready for prime time yet. I think that for an old guy such as myself who's kind of watched the transition of CT scanning to MRI scanning, the new technologies that are available as far as imaging are almost fantastical and wondrous. We do rely heavily on MRI scans, and we have newer techniques in the MRI that actually outline the nerves. There are some abilities with MRI to actually look at fiber tracks within the nerve itself, trying to predict the position of all these critical nerves when we do the surgery. On the same hand, particularly with other lateral skull-based tumors, which are complex, the vascular relationships to the tumor are very important, and three-dimensional CT angiography has now become a very standard tool, which has added an incredible amount of anatomy capabilities that we really never had in the past. So I rely heavily on Dr. Walsh for the audiometrics because that is a critical decision-maker in how we treat our patients. And also, it's very important for her to help me as far as vestibular function. The otolaryngology department at UAB is fully equipped to evaluate all these aspects of the patient's 
eighth nerve and vestibular nerve function. So therefore, it really is a team effort. A lot of times I'll look at the vascularity of the tumor, vascular relationships, the cranial nerve relations from an anatomical standpoint using the imaging we have. But I really rely on Dr. Walsh for the diagnostics of audiometrics and vestibular function. Well, Dr. Fisher, tell us about some of the advancements that have been made in treatment that can help surgeons to access hard-to-reach areas of the skull, whether it's improved imaging or any intraoperative monitoring you'd like to discuss. Well, although it's kind of old hat now, really microscopic surgery has been at the forefront of newer technology and techniques. We don't use a lot of robotics in uh, the lateral approaches. Endoscopy has um, been an area of some investigation with these surgical approaches. But really for us, I think the biggest helpful factor is our intraoperative monitoring that we can now do to allow us to be able to evaluate what's happening to the nerves real-time while we're operating on these tumors to make sure that we don't irreparably harm the nerve. And we can tell the patient at the end of the surgical procedure if they do have some dysfunction in their nerve that there's a high likelihood that there will be a substantial recovery. And in the past, when we didn't have these techniques, it was always kind of a hit and miss We never really knew where to draw the line with some of the proceedings of the surgical resection. And now with this newer monitoring, it really has assisted us a lot in identification of where the critical nerves are and also being careful to preserve them. And Dr. Walsh, I'd like you to expand for just a bit on this multidisciplinary approach, whether it's before, during, or after treatment, how important this is for these patients. And because it's so complex, who's in charge of patient care? This is for other providers, and when they're referring... Tell us how the process works. Well, it really is a team effort between Dr. Fisher and myself. We share the responsibility for the patient preoperatively, intraoperatively, and postoperatively. That team approach has really become the standard of excellence internationally for care of these lesions because of their complexity. And I benefit from Dr. Fisher's expertise as an experienced neurosurgeon And likewise, my knowledge as an otologic surgeon, I can bring that to the table as well to ensure that we're really giving the best approach for our patients and the best perioperative care. But it it truly is a team approach. It's not one of us versus the other. And likewise, we're in communication when we have challenging cases. We're sitting down together and talking about them and looking at the imaging and as a team coming to a conclusion about what the best approach to take is. At UAB, it's very helpful to have a large multidisciplinary clinic where literally you can walk down the hall to go speak with the other surgeon. So many times Dr. Walsh and I sit down face-to-face and discuss cases not infrequently and sometimes every week when patients present. Likewise, in aftercare, Say, for instance, a patient has a problem, then we're both using both of our separate discipline knowledge base to 
predict and try to help the patient through any kind of complication that can occur. And even in simple things, say, for instance, if one of us is out of town, two is always better than one. And so another physician being available when someone's not available adds consistency uh, to patient care and I think in many ways makes patients feel more comfortable that they see a familiar face when they have a problem. It's a great point, Dr. Fisher. I'd like to give you each a chance for a final thought. So, Dr. Fisher, what does current research indicate for future developments in skull-based tumors? Give us a little blueprint or anything that you're excited about, clinical trials, anything you'd like other providers to know that you're doing at UAB Medicine. Well, I think probably the big thing is to kind of pass the baton on to the next generation. And because there are other therapies that could be delivered to patients, the skill set that's required to take care of these patients when the patients have no other choice but a surgical intervention is very important. The process of understanding the anatomy, the skill set, et cetera, is very much a internship of techniques, even in super skilled, trained neurosurgeons. So I think the, uh, the big push for us here is to move forward. Dr. Walsh is going to help assist me kind of move um, our department forward into the future to have the younger neurosurgeons become more involved and understand the skill sets necessary to uh, resect these tumors. It really requires post-fellowship activity to acquire the skill set, the anatomical understanding to do what's best for the patient and provide excellence in patient care. And Dr. Walsh, last word to you. Let other physicians know what you'd like them to know about lateral skull-based surgery and when you feel it's important that they refer to the specialists at UAB Medicine. Yeah, if you have a patient that you suspect has a lateral skull-based lesion or confirmed skull-based lesion, get them in right away because helping us to counsel the patients on their options, which sometimes do include observation, getting them plugged into the system I think is really important, both from a kind of patient reassurance and also patient education standpoint and, of course, monitoring standpoint. And so we're happy to facilitate the care of any patient that you send to us with a lateral skull-based lesion and get them hooked up with our multidisciplinary team. I'd like to add that really size matters, and in this case, tiny size is better than large size. So the sooner, the better. Thank you both so much. Absolutely fascinating. I really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your expertise for other providers. And a physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST. That concludes this episode of UAB MedCast. For more information, you can visit uabmedicine.org slash physician. Please also remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UAB Medicine podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.